broadcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries, where discussion and thoughts about simple and complex social interactions happen. My name is Sharif Rucker, an urban educator. Please join me as your host in having interesting conversations. Welcome to my next episode, Workplace Culture. I got the job. My resume spoke for me. I'm qualified. I had a strong interview. I've been accepted. I start tomorrow. I walk into my new environment. There are a lot of things happening. I move in. I know that I'm qualified for the position, but sometimes or something didn't go right in my first three months on this job, and I no longer have this job. Or in my first three months in this job, um, I'm having conflicts that are not allowing me to show my best. I don't know what's wrong. Something that we often take for granted is workplace culture, walking into an environment and not really understanding what drives the environment, what's going to help us to become successful. Environments that are not necessarily um, healthy for our success and environments that are detrimental um, to our, our professional growth, and then environments that are nurturing to our growth. But we also have to know what kind of individuals we are and what environments we're going to, we're going to be able to thrive in. You know, environment, it will predict retention. It will also attract talent or lose talent. Ideas to note, process matters, expectations, growth and opportunities, and the ability to initiate change. In my study of the topic, I've identified six areas that I wanted to focus on in our conversation today. The first area is a hot item in this country today is mental health. Um, when we walk into our workplace environment, it's very important in terms of what it does to us mentally um, and emotionally. When we walk into the office of this space, what are we seeing? What is it designed for? Is it designed for people to thrive? You know, well, some of the things we take for granted are like living organisms, right? Having plants available, or even uh, f f uh, false plants. Just seeing life around us are uh, vivid colors, colors of green and uh, pastels, and uh, having windows with lighting, right? The furniture arrangement, is it, is it uh, furniture that's um, conducive to whatever the work that we're required to engage. The lighting, and is the lighting harsh or is the lighting comfortable that we can sustain our efforts through an extended amount of time? You know, we take for granted these things, um, things like lighting and fresh air, but they're very important in terms of sustaining the productivity that we want in our work environments. This often leads to mental health. Do we like being in the spaces that we go to? Do we feel comfortable in those spaces? Do we feel like it is almost an extension of our of our homes? Now, not that it, it has to be home, but it's we spend a lot of time at work. We spend the majority of our time at work, and so it's important that work be somewhat comfortable so that we can, uh, it's easy to engage it regularly over an extended period of time, right? In the places and spaces that we work, physical health is a very important factor. When we talk about appropriate furniture, the, the height of the furniture, the, the um, quality of the furniture, the furniture in um, 
connection to the individuals that are working there because we know that some some of us are handicapped and some of us have disabilities and things that uh, cause discomfort during our work day, right? So has the work environment created the adaptations needed for that person to be as successful as someone without disability? It's meal time. Ding, 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 ding. What are we eating? What's around us? What eateries? What do we have that we can avail ourselves to? Are there options? Can I have a salad? Uh, is there a meat option? Is there a non-meat option? Is there a vegetable option? You know, is there a sandwich option? Is there a hot food option? What are the options around us? Are there brands are located around us? That's why Manhattan, Manhattan is an ideal, and, and parts of Brooklyn are ideal work environments uh, f- for some occupations, you know. But there are others that are that are uh, uh, set up in environments where there's not enough food. Under the selections of a food comes from a food truck, right? And so that changes the game in terms of, you know, um, nutritional health, right? And so nutritional health is then later going to speak to um, physical health. And so it's important that we take that into uh, consideration. Every job is supposed to offer sick time. However, there's some sort of, there's like a, a cloud over the use of sick time. It's there to be used, but yet there's a, unspoken language that we shouldn't be using them or that when we use them we're not being productive there's like some sort of guilt trip that we go through when we use sick time and this is often um, um, implied softly implied through a lot of our employment uh, circles right that uh, you know you have it but we we really don't want you to use it you know Um, and then in some cases you don't use it you lose it right and some cases it doesn't, uh, it carries over, but then when it's time to retire, you can't, you know, use it all. And so you have to use them. You have to create the space to use them. Um, and that means that the individual has to be comfortable in saying when is when. When is, when, not when is when, when is when, but when is it okay for me to use it, right? Um, and then there's, there has to be, you know, sadly that you have to, you know, have a pattern of the way you use your sick time because, um, then it can be interpreted as something that that is being um, um, abused. And so sick time is not only because I have a cold and because I have um, some sort of pain in my body, but sometimes it's a mental health day. Someday, sometimes it's a time to be quiet. Sometimes it's, it's time to, um, to, to, to take a moment, take a break, to take a time out and then go back in, right? And so that's part of sick time because that's also that's mental health. Right, and that's that's being the best that you can be at work, and so whatever that is, in your sick time, and you need to engage it. If that time is allowed and available. You need to take it. Now, there's documented and undocumented sick time. We know that undocumented is you know when you self treat and then you go in, but then there's documented, right? And it's, you know when you when you do documented sick time, you <laughs> you're in a situation where you you could spend the day in, in the doctor's office, and that is not a day of rest. And so then you need to not count that day. You need to count that day and another day, you know, because that day is an administrative day, and then the next day is your real rest day. So, you know, when you go to document it, you you know, my my best advice is that you plan to take some sort of extended time. So it's three or more. You know, it's it's you know you you need because one of those days is not going to count. And so if you need three days, then you're taking four. If you need um, if you need uh, two days, then you're taking three. And so. 
you know, when you look at your sick time, you have to think about that in terms of longevity. And, and so at the same time, you're managing your workplace culture in that, you know, you don't want to create any um, unusual patterns or patterns that cause a question, but you also want to self-care and you want to take your, your sick time because that is something that is part of your, your, your package, your, uh, your payment package. And so then you have to use it. It is a financial package because when you take that sick time, it costs. You gain a benefit from it, and a company gains a benefit benefit from it, whether it's negative or positive. But there is a cost involved with sick time, and, and you've been allotted a certain amount of time that you should engage. Parental leave continues to be a hot topic in this country. If people are going to have children, there has to be time allotted for emergencies, right? For, for child care, for... For sick children, you know, there has to be time allotted for that because you have children. And so one doesn't go without the other. And what drives, you know, what drives people in this country mostly is that your families drive you to be successful. Your families drive you to work. Your families drive you to accumulate wealth and and to put things around them in terms of household and cars and and items uh, that, that make your family comfortable. They drive that work. And so... And they drive also the longevity and the persistence that people have in their jobs, right? So if you don't have that family driving it and you're, you're single, and not to say anything against single people, there's less of a value on a leave. But the, the leave is important because, you know, you have dedicated people that are, that are committed to families who are willing to serve out with this company for as long as it, 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 it happens because it's different today, whether it's five or three years. But they have to also be allocated, allocated time to sustain both sides of it because this, this, this balancing act. There's also a hopscotch between both parents, right? The, you know, the father takes off a day, the mother takes off a day, uh, the grandparents take a day, and everybody's kind of playing this game to manage their families uh, because there's not enough time allocated to um, family care, right, um, and parental leaves. And so there's this, this constant pull on those inside the family with along with the business to try to make everyone available right available to the needs of the home and available to the needs of the business now let's talk about actually being in the workplace itself so we're in the workplace we've situated our, our sick time we've situated you know the foods around us we've situated you know, our physical health and, and, and we've shared, you know, uh, we have commonalities with certain workers and, and we have some of the needs met or not met in our work environment. And now we're actually in our work environment. We're sitting in our cubicle. And in this cubicle, there are no walls. It's a open air environment. And, you know, it's, it's a setup to be a space of collaboration and cooperation and collegiality and all those things are set up because of the space, the structure of the space. So we have that going. Then we have the individuals in our space who we do not know. People that come from various crosses of society, right, that come into our space and and have their nuances and have their interests and expectations and behaviors, personal behaviors, whether good or bad, sitting in the same space. These people enter the space, they are not normed in terms of how they, how they need to behave in the space from day one. That happens, that's supposed to happen in the business over time in terms of how we norm, we bring people together. But when they enter the space originally, they're coming with their own nuances 
and strange behaviors and they step into the space and they exist. The expectation is that they're adults and they're supposed to have good behavior. But it's kind of like taking a group of adolescents and putting them in a schoolyard and asking them to coexist. How do you create culture in a schoolyard for them to coexist without a specific purpose? So we know how badly that can go if you put a lot of adolescents from various areas of life and, and sizes and shapes and, 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 and different physical and mental developments and capacities in the same space, what's going to happen with that space? Especially for those who work in education, you're very clear about what, what happens in those spaces, right? You could imagine if you're outside of that, what's going to happen. And then if you're also in those environments that you don't have a strong workplace culture, you know what's happening. Essentially, you're getting a lot of bad behavior. You're getting a lot of bad behaviors. And we can, we can lay out those behaviors from, you know, name-calling, from bickering, the conflict for outright arguments to sometimes outright fights in the work environment. You know, you could talk to talk to stealing, you know, from from his paper from the cop, from the copy machine. Is it is it something off the desk? A stapler? Is it a pen? You know, or is it changing someone's environment? Is it is it pulling out a wire out of somebody's computer? There are so many misbehaviors that take place in work environments that are not adjusted to be fair and inclusive of the people in them. When workplace environments don't work, people don't stay. So if it's a workplace environment where individuals that are talented don't feel included and are not accepted or feel endangered, they take a walk. They take a walk. And every time that someone takes a walk, it costs the company to bring someone else in, to train them up, to be to fill in the gap or the void that they've had from the time that that person left and the space and time that they took to try to fill that space. Now, what's happening here? What are the core values? So when I walk into the office, what am I seeing on the walls? What am I hearing? How are people behaving? Because there are core values that are, that, are, that are emanating from the things that I can observe. So without saying anything, what am I seeing? What am I observing? When I walk in the door, what am I seeing? Is there a quote? Are there certain colors? You know, um, are people clustered around round tables having conversations? What's the physical environment? Are, are people separated between um, dividers? Doesn't have to be walls. It can be dividers. Um, when I go to the boss's office, is there a closed door? There, uh, is there an open door? But the, even though there's an open door, when I look in the door, is there uh, um, a visual um, recognition that says, you know, let's have the conversation, or I'm here, let's talk. Or is there a look that says, you know, don't bother me, I'm busy. Is there a feeling in the space that someone's in charge? Who's in charge? Although people have titles in the business, right, and, the, you know, there's, there's the president, there's the vice president, or there's the executive director, and then there's the director. In a workplace culture, that doesn't always matter. Sometimes it's not about the title. Sometimes it's about the individuals who are actually welding the power. And so in a workplace culture it's, culture, it's important that we are observing because we have to understand essentially who has the power. We all know that um, the, the most important person to your boss is their secretary. And that, you know, in order to move agendas, you have to also make sure that you have good communication and you have a good relationship with the secretary in order to get your message across to move whatever um, initiative you're trying to 
pushing the organization? Who's actively reg regulating the space if it's not the top manager? Who's actually working in the space to um, create cooperation and collaboration and communication and also making sure that people are fine-tuned to the core values of the organization? What's the initiative for the year? What's the goal? Are we working toward the goal? Is it understood through all segments of the organization or is one organization working with it and then one or one segment of the organization is working with it and then when there's collaboration with another segment they're not aware of the goal and so forth there's a breakdown right and so are we speaking the same language we know that companies do a great job with um branding right at&t with the orange and blue with the merger with at&t and singular or apple products or microsoft or google uh, their brand product but what's behind it? What's what's the way, uh, the, the 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 blood that runs through the organization that supports the brand? How do people live and cooperate? And what are the behaviors of achievement in the organization, or inside the organization, and how is that accomplished? Unfortunately, when we look at a lot of lots of civil service jobs, we know that um, they often don't speak to the brand of the department or the service being offered. That we. We often see something called like a herd mentality that is uh, built around uh, people who are um, disengaged and uh, are not inspired by the work, um, driven through oftentimes through rumors and uh, there's often work that's done without thought and um, there's this peer pressure not to go above and beyond and so it becomes a status quo and nothing moves and so Places that we see like that, you know, we've once seen like that is, you know, Department of, you know, Social Services or the DMV or, you know, places that are um, public centers that are not driven through any brand. And I'm not putting down anyone in particular who works who works in these environments. I'm talking about, you know, the general perception of these environments based on the many people or the multiple users that have gone into these places to get services. So I'm not talking about one or two individuals in these, in these locations who are inspired and, um, uh, have the, the right personality for the work and are connected to people and want to do right by the business. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the the the, uh, um, the general perception of the work environment, the general perception of the service people receive when they walk in the door and how they feel when they walk out of the door. So I'm talking about that. And I'm talking, I'm saying is that that, that doesn't only happen in civil service um you know, positions or locations, but it also happens in corporate environments and corporate entities, and many of those corporations begin to disintegrate eventually, and they don't last. And so, you know, those are key indicators. And so, when it's, when you when you take it and you put it in a competitive environment where it's something that doesn't have to stand because it's a needed service, it dies. And so, if it's a corporate entity, it dies. If it's something that is driven by um, it has to happen, then there's a different quality of service there. It seems like because it's not driven by a competitive edge or there's no level of, or there's no meritocracy there in terms of the organization, in terms of if I achieve this, then this will happen. And this is the rate of promotion. And this is what I get from this. And this is a sort of bonus to keep me working. And this is how we've changed the initiative on the goals for this year to keep people inspired. And this is how we've adjusted. Those things are happening us typically in civil service jobs. So as a result of workplace culture, people respond a certain way and, and, and one of the, the the most clear ways that people respond is how they dress for service. And so typically the way people dress for service will speak a lot to um, 
how they feel about the place that they work, right? Um, also, it's when you have team meetings and when the way the team meetings go, right? So if you have a room that's just simply quiet and the leaders speak and no one is offering suggestions, then there's, there's you know, there's some, there's some concern there. Um, or is it a place where people feel like they can offer feedback and they can offer something to the table and um, they've really thought about the idea and they've extended themselves to help an idea become stronger, right? Is there a place for conflict in the room of, around ideas and 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 is there safety in expressing um, differences of opinions in a room, right? Ceremonies, what about ceremonies? Are ceremonies forced or do they come out organically from the group because the group wants to celebrate one another? Or is it something that is forced and that we all have to show up to and we have to check a box for compliance? Do we find ourselves working in environments where um, the clock starts at a certain time? So if I come in at uh, 7 in the morning, you know, uh, 7 or 1, you know, I'm getting a a twisted look from my supervisor, am I leaving at uh, 6 o'clock? If I leave at 6, is there a problem? Because I'm leaving at 6, so I don't really care about my work. There's a there's a perception that I need to stay longer, so if I'm supposed to leave at 6, I should leave at 7, and it shows that I work hard, you know, because I spend more extend, extended time at a job. So it's not enough to spend my 8 hours, but it's, it's it suggests that I'm, I'm a hard worker when I spend 12 hours a day, right? And so I'm which ultimately is creating an imbalance in terms of work and and home, right? And so, but if there's a value for that in the workplace culture, then that's, there's a concern there. None of these behaviors are to be unexpected because we know that when people work in any environment or with their, or with a group of people that the dominant norms often predict the way that people exist. And so if there's a, a norm that, you know, most people have lunch at 11.30 and the office shuts down and they have lunch at 11.30, then... That's something that you're probably going to end up doing, right? Um, although your lunch, you know, typically you may have have lunch at one. Maybe you have a, a salad with the group, just to to um, satisfy um, the norm of the group, and then later on you have an additional snack, which will be actually your lunch to uh, satisfy your own need. And so, these are typically um, normal uh, things that are happening in a work environment. What's the most important part of this is how is it regulating, who's regulating, how the workplace environment is existing, and that it's not being driven just through the people, but it's also being driven through the goals and the alignment of the organization. So what I'm going to go to now is I'm going to speak to some of the learnings of what I've learned in terms of how to shape a workplace environment and the workplace environments that are seen as productive. So uh, referencing sidekicker.com, um, the learning that I've gotten from there was that uh, it's important that we the workplace environment uh, provides opportunity to increase effective communication uh, through creating social and networking opportunities uh, outside of work. Uh, another learning was that they create a comfortable work in, or a workplace. Uh, so no one wants to work in a toxic environment with infighting, um, yelling and screaming and disrespectful behaviors, uh, behaviors that are targeting individuals, uh, uh, attempting to hurt people while they're at work and without, without any um, uh, reprimand. The career development uh, training that people want to become better. People have a desire to be better, and they want to learn how to become better. So when it's targeted training for a specific purpose, so that people can gauge their own skills and improve and enhance their skills, then that's a win. Uh, be mindful of burnout, right? And for working 12-hour days, and we're extending ourselves to from 12-hour days to seven days a week, then we can't sustain that over a long period of time. And so eventually, you'll burn out somebody with um, high capacity and um, uh, high skill set, and then you won't have them in an organization. And 
sometimes it's very hard to replace individuals like that. So you have to be mindful and try to regulate those individuals. Referencing entrepreneur.com, uh, John Rappington is a contributor there. He uh, cites myths around workplace culture. Uh, number one, first myth is workplace culture doesn't start with you. It's a living definition, a living definition. So it's not just the managers in terms of trying to push out this workplace culture, but it's how we live as an organization. It's our behaviors. It's our observable behaviors of leadership also in terms of how they model the behaviors they want in their organization. Myth number two. There was a right and wrong type, wrong right and wrong type of culture. No, it depends. You know, um, a competitive versus a non-competitive environment depends on the industry, and so the set of cultural norms in that in industry determines how people want to work. Right? Um, it's what it's about. What works best for the business. Um, however, suspicion and despair are never a good mix. Myth number three: culture is only about pay and perks. Believe it or not, incentives in the form of pay and perks have very little to do with the accomplishments or successes of an organization or individuals. It's about people's the connection to people's innate abilities, core beliefs, and purpose, right? And if there's a, there's a connection, there's an alignment between that and the business, and the, that or the individual and the business then that's when you receive extras from the individuals, and that's when you receive from 70% productivity to 120% when there's an alignment of purpose and desire and need in the organization. Myth number four, open offices encourage collaboration without barriers. Well, we talked about earlier in uh, this podcast about having offices without walls, right? Well, 72%, 72, so in these spaces, 72% less time interacting People spend 72% less time interacting and spend more time emailing each other in these open world environments. So there's no walls. There's only simply dividers. And sometimes there's no dividers. I'm looking literally across the, my desk to, to the person in front of me. And there's a person to my right and a person to my left. And we're not having conversations. We're emailing each other. And they're citing it that's, that it hinders productivity in these environments and creates stresses and higher rates of absenteeism. Now, we can go into another podcast about that in terms of people having personal space and, and, and ways to vent and, and to, to uh, relieve themselves in, in privacy and that not being available in these spaces. It's like, it's like trying to do your work on a train, right, on a crowded train. So, you know, we can talk about that another time. Myth number five, efficiency drains morale. Not true. So having meetings on time helps morale so having people work eight hours a day or work their hours and not work 12 hours helps morale and it helps longevity also when you have to reduce your workforce so if you have 100 employees and you and and it's not it's not meaning the productivity of the company and you have to downsize and you drop 60 60 percent of those employees that's necessarily not necessarily a bad thing sometimes that's it's, it's a healthy thing to the organization, the morale of the organization too. That is, we gotta go into that another time too, why that's the case. Uh, myth number six, employee feedback can sell, solve all of your problems. Not so. If there's not trust in the organization, the feedback that you get from employees is not gonna be authentic. Therefore, you're not gonna get the information that you need. 
you have to create this space, a safe space of trust where, where people will speak directly to you. And sometimes you don't need a survey because if you have an open air environment where people trust one another, that's going to happen. That kind of, those conversations are going to happen during team meetings where people can receive honest feedback. Myth number seven, there's no connection between a culture with business objectives and strategies. That is a no. People doing the work matter. Satisfied employees make a successful business. However, myth number eight, a a great workplace equals happy employees, no conflicts, and few mistakes. No. There has to be a balance between them. It's a negative when there's personality conflicts in an organization. It's a positive when there's task conflicts. It's also a positive when when the company can acknowledge and be comfortable with failures and the people within it. Myth number nine, culture costs more than it pays. There has to be a certain amount of emotional intelligence within a, a, a workplace culture. There has to be goal alignment. We spoke about this earlier. And myth number 10, culture is a state of mind. No. Behaviors and rituals of the team establish the culture. Additional learnings from Forbes, Dr. Prager Aguilar. This is uh, the article is entitled, How to Create a Positive Workplace Culture. Number one, you have to establish clear ethos and values for the organization. Don't just state it, be it. Number two, foster collaboration and communication. There needs to be opportunities for social interactions. There needs to be teachings about unconscious and implicit biases among people causing barriers in the organization. Three, we need to create an inclusive work environment. Number four, create goals and rewards for the employees. Um, and this means clear, establishing clear policies for progression and promotion and celebrate achievements. Another article from Forbes from Naz Bahasti, Top 10 Ways to Create an Extraordinary Workplace Culture, and also from the best Gallup Insights of 2019, number one, feedback is not enough. Feedback one way is no good. Feedback that has a two-way conversation similar to a culture model is a more of a productive model. Leaders have to build trust, number two. Number three, focus on the manager's experience. If managers are stressed and disengaged, that's going to be a negative on the company. It's important that managers the most become the most valuable asset because they will influence others. Number four, you want to avoid, you want to limit or reduce turnover. Number five, Engagement starts with leadership. All entities in an organization need to buy into the mission. Number six, set the tone for the workplace culture. Be respectful, communicate regularly with about the big picture and individual's role in that picture. Promote accountability and fairness. Number seven, hire strong little managers, people who love managing people and not bureaucratic red tape. Number eight, have realistic performance goals. And that ends this segment. Take care. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. If you like my show and want to know more, please reach out at pushingboundaries.transistor.fm or email me at pushenboundaries at gmail.com.